0: This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing.
1: Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Fly Racing and Renthal Street. On today's show, we've got the second half of David's interview with Peter Baum. And uh, David, there's a a lot to get through with that interview. So we're going to keep our nattering to as short as possible. And uh, it was a really interesting first half of the interview. And you teased a little bit at the end of last week's show whenever you talked about the fact that for the second half of the show, we're going to look at all the changes to MotoGP for this year. And you mentioned the sprint races. But before we hear from Peter, what well, what's your thoughts on the sprint races and the changes, especially after chatting to Peter?
2: Um, I mean, the, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Obviously, um, I mean, one of the things which Peter gets in it gets into is the fact that uh, you're going to have to basically have like two motorbikes, you know, uh, be, because the demands for the uh, for the race are going to be so very, very so very different. Um, that is going to be very interesting to see how that works out, how it affects, uh, how it affects development. Um, obviously it's just going to make qualifying even more important than it already is. Um, and it's going to be make, it's going to make, um, I suppose the, the 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 tire use and the fuel use, the fact that there's going to be twelve litres of fuel for half distance instead of twenty two litres for 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 full distance, that's going to have an effect as well. It's going to be it's going to mean that, uh, for example, Ducati don't have to cut their power as much, and I think that's that could end up being quite a quite a major risk.
1: Neil, obviously we've been able to listen to the first half of Peter's interview and uh, you extolled his virtues last week, I'd say you're looking forward to hearing the second half
3: Absolutely Steve, yes Um, a a wonderful kind of uh, manufacturer by manufacturer rundown um, in last week's show and uh, yeah, as David says we're looking at um, some of the changes coming up for 2023 in uh, in this week's episode Um, and uh, yeah, I guess along with the sprint races, the other thing that uh, is coming in is going to be the uh, the front tire pressure sensors um a united sensor which uh, every manufacturer will run and uh, it will be controlled because as we found out um i think around about may um, there were occasions this year that uh, certain manufacturers, certain riders were running tire pressures that were too low and uh, they weren't being punished. Um, and that's because that, well, one of the reasons was because basically there was no sort of United uh, software or United sensor that was measuring this thing. So um, yeah, that's going to be interesting. It's going to be a real um, balancing act for um, for the teams and for the uh, the manufacturers to try and understand. Obviously... Um, finding the front tire pressure is, is completely the right front tire pressure is completely dependent on where you are on the grid. You know, it can differ uh, massively if you're kind of out front, or you've got free air in front of you, you've got space on the racetrack. But if you're tucked in behind another couple of riders, it could be a, a total nightmare. Um, so, yeah, I think that's going to be a, a massive thing. Um, and I think I heard that um, Ken. Um, Ken uh, from Suzuki, Ken Kawachi, Ken Kawachi uh, was saying that uh, obviously he was greatly saddened by the fact that Suzuki are ducking out. But um, if there was one time that he had to, he, he would have to duck out. This was probably it because trying to understand and manage the front tire pressures next year, he thinks is going to be just a massive ask, massive headache for for everyone. So um, yeah, I think that's uh, it's going to be interesting to to see how that works out.
2: It's funny you mentioned balancing because it's something that I talked to Peter about before uh, beforehand. I mean, I mean, actually balancing tires. uh, A lot of uh, manufacturers may still decide they also want to use their own uh, sensors as well uh, because of the extra functionality in uh, in in their own. sensors such as you know air temperature infrared to, to be able to to, ma- uh, to measure that but then you're going to be running around with two different um uh tire sensors you know like uh, the tire pressure sensors in in your front tire um or front maybe rear tire uh and that means that's going to make uh, actually balancing tires and balancing wheels that a little bit more complicated because you've got all of this extra weight around in there
1: Well, let's balance out the podcast by taking a quick ad break. And then when we come back, we're going to hear from David and Peter as they wrap up their chat from last week's show as well. So we'll leave it from that as well for this week's show. So a big thank you to everyone for listening to the Paddock Pass podcast. Big thank you to Fly Racing and Rentall Street for supporting the pod. And as I said, after the break, we're going to have the second half of our Rentall Street sessions interview with Peter Baum.
0: Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Renthal Street Clip On Handlebars are premium race spec clip ons available in nine different options, two different offsets, and six different diameters. All developed in collaboration with top level race teams. Use the Fit My Bike tool on renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. And we are back with
2: Peter Bomp. Right, we've had uh, Ducati MR and Aprilia, Suzuki. I mean, what a story that's been this year. Uh, we were talking about this earlier and i said like to me the suzuki uh, the Suzuki is a motorbike which is just a very very good motorbike um, it's not like the Ducati which has got all sorts of things to help it go faster or whatever, it's just good at everything it's just a really good motorcycle and they had two really good riders uh, and yet Suzuki decided that you know, they didn't see the value in continuing, well they don't really seem to see the, see the value in racing because you know they've pulled out of EWC as well, they haven't been racing in, uh, uh, in well, a bloody people. panic yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah I mean there it, must have been a full blown panic in Hovermaster or whatever yeah because it does not and and again it seems to be almost a complete change of strategy. It seems to have absolutely nothing to do with motorcycling at all or motorcycle racing at all it's just you know they' they're completely they're reinventing their corporate strategy and first of all they're a they're a car company but um the the bike what do i mean what did you think of their season? i mean it was obvious they started off well, and then at the, we got to the Jerez test and they were told that they that Suzuki were pulling out. And they seemed to go to pieces, and then they started to slowly pull themselves together again.
4: Well, it's, it's an enigma, the Suzuki. But I love the bike a lot. There's, there's the two bikes I, I can't stop watching at, and these are the two extremes, the Ducati and the Suzuki, for two completely different reasons. As complicated and high-tech, high-tech the Ducati is, you know, I mean, especially take off the fairing when you're able to head close to the Ducati. Without the fairing, you don't believe your eyes. It's unbelievably complicated. You go to the Suzuki, you think there's a superbike. That's a nice poly-superbike over there. But it's a very, very effective MotoGP weapon, capable of winning the races like it did the last race. And so simple. Everything is straight. What you see is what you get. You think even you understand everything you see, which you don't always completely do. But they are the example of, keep it simple, no mistakes, you get pretty far. Yeah. Which is,
2: I mean, the glory of MotoGP is that you've got this Ducati, which is... um, it's, a, it's a, bike, a plane and a, a plane. One, in one. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. closer. It's closer to an aeroplane than it is to a motorbike. Yeah. And you've got a Suzuki, which is you know it's a uh, souped-up GSXR thousand yeah. with some um, uh, you know with a go faster pipe and a, stra- and, a and a and a nice and a uh, nice
4: pipe off the pedal. Yeah. Oh yeah.
2: It. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But um, the Suzuki could beat the DK. there are two ways of going fast. There's so many different ways of going fast, and that's what I find fascinating about motorcycle racing in general. But yeah, the Suzuki itself is a fantastic bike, and they had. Two riders who were capable of getting the most out of it. I thought Alex Rins because we've in the past we've criticised Alex Rins for making too many mistakes. Yeah, um, he seems, Oh, he did. He, he seems to make fewer mistakes this year than yeah. normal. Yeah, he seemed to pull it. And again, you know, winning two of the last three races was uh, uh, <laughs> you know fairy tale, fairy tale stuff.
4: stuff. Absolutely. Um, the Suzuki is probably the best example. Of the importance of starting on the front two rows, because yeah. that's what they almost never did. Yeah. And when when Rins qualified himself on the second row in Valencia with a medium rear tire in Q2 because he ran out of stuff just at S-tide just of r- trying to get into Q2, yeah. when you can do that with a medium rear tire which you will race on Sunday, I knew he was going to be strong. But then he overdid. He was even better because he saw his start. In, before turn one, he was already leading. I yeah. never looked yeah, yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking during the race, everybody is just happy with the pace he does. It's not so fast. And we wait till after mid-race point, and then we, things will heat up. No. After mid-race point, everybody starts to fall off.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
4: he didn't yeah. went faster. He just The others went slower. Yeah. So anyway, the Suzuki. Very simple bike to, what, to look at. This is a bike as we know it for years. The least tricky arrows. The last team that starts with right tidy devices and so on, and so on but still there on the podium. And... This shows, did show me over the last years the importance of having a bike that handles very well, has not, has not enough horsepower, but handles very well, and has some very good riders on it. But somehow this year, uh, Rins was able to do the next step at some points. He improved himself again. He improved as a rider. Mir did not, in my opinion. Mm. Actually, in Mir, I was a bit disappointed because usually when good riders become world champion, they get more dangerous than ever before. Because when they taste the success, they only want to have more. Look at Mark. That's how it works. Look at Fabio. You know, he's a completely different person since he became the world champion and he was fighting for the championship. So much more aggressive, so much more dedicated, so much more focused. And I have not seen that with Mir. And Mir need to do that to, to extract more from the Suzuki. The Suzuki started usually on the back foot because the weakest point of the Suzuki was qualifying. In MotoGP, as it was until now, the last couple of years, especially this year, the lap time you need to do to get on the front two rows was so much different and so much faster than the lap times we're doing in the race. But you start with a Suzuki behind a couple of Ducatis mostly and probably a KTM, and you just don't get past. You can, maybe with a Suzuki, after one lap, you knew how your race is going to end up in the best possible way. It can only go worse from there if you're still in p8 after one lap that's it yeah. if you're in p2 after one lap you can finish on the podium probably so you know it it, it just missed the, the 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 they missed something as a team probably to to do that extra half a second in qualifying because they were usually like 3 4 tenths off the pace in qualifying and that makes a big step that 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 made them lose one two rows and then the race is already very difficult because with the Suzuki, just like with the Yamaha, you don't overtake Ducatis that easily. Ducatis have the straight, and they close the door in the corner, and that's it. The, the, the
2: other thing that the Suzuki, both Suzuki riders said was um, there was an improvement in the in the Michelin rear tires. Uh, I mean, especially sort of like from from 2020, 2021, where you saw uh, the Suzuki riders had a lot more tire at the end of the year uh, at, oh, yeah. at the end of the, at the end of races, and they yeah. were literally. Maybe half a second faster than everyone else, and how being half a second faster enough is enough to catch up with whatever you've lost, yeah. and, and you can then start to make up, start to get past people, start to make up places. But this year, it just wasn't the, the difference in between warm tires and and new tires was much much less. Yeah. Uh, that that to me was a big, exactly a, a big difference because you know if you can only make up you know a tenth or two tenths. If you're 2 seconds behind you just don't have the
4: the, 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 the race is not long
2: enough. Yeah.
4: to do uh, I was always thinking maybe there is a logic with the Suzuki that they are poor in qualifying and good in race pace and good in tire life. Mm. There is something in in inside the the character of the electronic strategies or the character of how the mechanical grip is created in the bike that is very nice for the tire but does not allow you to extract everything for one lap when you need it. But it helps you to do 20 laps with the same tire. Mm. But at some point, the other manufacturers catched up in race pace. But Suzuki never made a step to do a really good qualifying. So, yep. And, and that you can't afford that. You have to have more or less two bikes. Especially this year for me, it was... I, I don't really like it, actually. But you needed almost to have two bikes. One for qualifying on the front two rows, one to do the race pace. And again, Ducati with eight bikes, they always have two bikes. <laughs> That's also the... Uh, I
2: mean, sort of thinking about it... Because the Suzuki is just a motorbike, it's harder to find something extra. When if you compare it with the Ducati, the Ducati can, uh, with all of its sort of extra technical gubbins, it, it, its ride height devices and the aero and all the rest yeah. of it, um, that gives you a way to get a little bit more out when you need to during qualifying. Yeah. Yeah. So you can you know you can set a bike up for you can set the basic bike up for the race. And then just use your ride-eye devices, whatever, exactly. you know, yeah. the fuel
4: strategy. And again, them. also the, the, the benefit of having a crazy lot of horsepower, way yeah. more than you think you can use, like Ducati has, yeah. with the Desmo and, you know, they're, they're engine guys. Yeah. Ducati is basically engine guys, So <laughs> they have so much horsepower extra that they can choose what to do with the extra horsepower. Yeah. and But compliments for them, because the more horsepower you expect from an engine, The harder it gets to make all the horsepower really nicely available uh, for the rider to have the right feedback from the throttle. Actually, that's how Fabio of Peko's season started so wrong, because they found a couple of extra horsepower, which they didn't need, Ducati, and then lost all control on the first touch of throttle. Yeah, that's what probably confused him the most in the first couple of races. So yeah, and in the end, Ducati has it all. It has the most horsepower plus the real good feedback and the tire life, and then, then it's very hard. Having said that about Ducati, go back to Suzuki. In a way, the Suzuki was almost the better Yamaha. Yeah. So think about having yeah had having had Fabio on a Suzuki. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes.
2: Yeah. I mean, yes, that would be very fast. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it had exactly a sweet handling, and it had exactly what he needed. What he was what he was missing really to be uh, uh, to be competitive. Um, speaking of overtaking, KTM. Uh, and qualifying KTM again they seem to struggle with qualifying the, the riders yeah. were saying throughout the year what they were struggling with was rear grip and then with rear grip um, uh, even if you stick a new tyre in you're still not getting the same sort of step in rear grip exactly as other riders are with, uh, yeah. with it and so you know you can't drop your lap times and get full but we saw the bike is not all that terrible considering <laughs>
4: Um, not all that terrible. No, <laughs> no, not at all. No, n- it's n- a lot closer to to being one of the best bikes than most people think, and that what you what you yeah what you're about to think when you look at the results sheet because that you show it in Valencia when the race turned. I said Suzuki's downfall was mostly not being able to qualify in the front row. That's even that's the same problem for KTM. Yeah. but just that some races the KTM since it's hull it's more or less like a Ducati but with a, always a very good race pace, but worse in qualifying. So when Brad Binder, in, in, like in Valencia in the last race, his race pace was all weekend very, very good. Yeah. Um, when on Sundays, the circumstances changed a little bit and makes everybody's race pace even worse because the race was really slow. Huh? Yeah. Could they compare the best race lap time to the qualifying lap, compare the race duration to last year? It was a slow race anyway. Not because everybody was sleeping, but the circumstances were hard. It was, I think four or five degrees hotter on Sunday in the tarpac and that dropped the front tire just over the cliff so the front was so much harder for everybody to control. Ducati lose their benefit that they had with the front tire they start to struggle a bit more and then suddenly the KTM was very very competitive so they are stretching the, they are thinking extra 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 now how to get the KTM on the front two rows because the race pace in mot- in current MotoGP the race pace the lap time in the race is so much slower than you need to do in qualifying. They have a very good race bike every time again, but usually can't use it because they start from too far back and the Ducatis are already gone. Yeah, the the
2: other thing that the uh, KTM rider said throughout the year and at the test, one of the things they were changing the, the new, also the chassis which they brought to Valencia, which made a difference. Um, it was actually turning because what they're trying to do is get the bike to turn more quickly so they can pick the bike up and get it on the fat part of the tire. Um, and start accelerating. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's more grip available, sort of in the drive area. You know, once you pick the bike up a little bit, than there is right on the edge. Because before they were having to carry to get the bike to turn, they were having to turn it all on the edge of the tire, and you just burn through your. Uh, yeah. the, 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 it's a recipe for burning through your tire unless you're on a yeah, Yamaha.
4: V4s and corner speed never was a good marriage. No. So you need an inline four for that, and the KTM was struggling a little bit in between. And uh, but they struggle. In in a way that, also for me, KTM was disappointing this year. I expected more from them after the year. I mean, okay, Miguel, won two races, but that's in the wet. The wet is another co championship. That's other wins. Respect, but there are other wins. They say less about the manufacturer and usually more about the rider and the team. Yeah. So, yeah, on the dry, I expected more from them. They're, they have not been there good enough. Not on, uh, definitely not on qualifying and on race pace. Too much up and down. But in KTM they they okay, they had four riders, but basically they had only two. A little yeah. bit like like Yamaha only Fabio. Yeah. KTM, you know, on the Tech Trust side, everything went wrong completely. So both riders are sacked and so on and so on. So they didn't benefit from having four riders. It was more a burden taking care of that side of the garage as well than it was a benefit. So they learned from that. They they, they need to learn because they they don't they are not here to play. Who yeah. was the
2: bigger disappointment, uh, Remy Gardner or Raul Fernandes?
4: Raul Fernandes, for me. I never rated Remy very high. I was thinking he was he was able to do better than this year, but not a lot, in my, my opinion, from my point of view. But it was even worse, because the whole atmosphere in the team, the whole marriage between him and the KTM horrible, but Raul, that was unbelievable. I mean, he's so unbelievably gifted. That guy has so much talent. But I think there were there are two reasons in, in on the why Ru Fernandes was just not there. It's like uh, unbelievable how much he was not there. That's firstly because everything went wrong in Tech 3, KTM, everything, but he also... I'm starting to be really worried for his future as well. He probably it's going to be one of these examples of crazy talented guy but completely confused and a wrong head yeah it, because he, he was, needs to change a lot his attitude his whole attitude his whole way of living his whole approach of racing because everything's wrong with him at the moment but unbelievable what a waste because what a talent he was Yeah, i mean uh how do you see,
2: because he's going to RNF and will be working with uh, uh Wilco Wilco Zelemerg um, and, tour life. and tour life, tour life, hartelman very, very small people. They really know how to get the best. I mean, like yeah. if you see what uh, what Wilco was able to do with with Jorge Lorenzo, who was a very,
4: yeah, and uh, then with Fabio. Yeah, now everybody wants to ride there because you know these guys know how to make the life of a rider. Uh, not just easy, but perfect. Yeah. So to extract the best from him, you yes. know, tell him when him it's not good enough, but also tell him when it's good enough for today. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know? Tell him what, he, give them what they Sounds need so to succeed. Easy, but it's not.
4: And so everybody will have his best years at that team. Yeah. So <laughs> no pressure, all, but this year or never. Yeah.
2: Do you think he's out if he's not, uh, if he doesn't?
4: Well, would you sign him for anything? I wouldn't have signed him no. for his this year. At all. Yeah, I would have. Whoa. I, I, I even not sure if I want to mention this here, but when uh, MCN asked me which rider I was thinking is going to be the Rook of the Year, for sure, Fernando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What he did in Moto 2, and his first year in Modo yeah. 2. You can't do that in your first year of Modo 2. He did. Yeah. So you must be, have a lot, a lot of talent and some rider's intelligence as well. But how how he is uh, he, nearly is able, or how he is now sort of killing his own career is unbelievable.
2: How do you see that affecting... Uh, I mean, like, because we've got Pedro Acosta coming up, uh, who's on the same, similar
4: trajectory, yeah. trajectory to Raul Fernandes. Probably in the same danger zone as well, eh? I we've think... heard him saying things, we've seen some attitude there. Yeah, but
2: the the, the other thing is that, because whenever I go into... The sort of, When you wander up and down pit lane during MotoGP, for example... um there is the, the motors the motor t tea teams are just setting up and uh across that it's already there he's already hanging out with his crew oh yeah he's he already hanging t-
4: around with his crew just like mark always did exactly and other good riders yeah, exactly. yeah that's the good thing yeah yeah to me that, the way he he and io i mean a lot of riders uh, own io a lot yeah. but not all of them uh didn't realize it when they were with him and I think Pedro is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't always oh, like how Ayo think Ayo is, Aki is sure that he needs to treat him. The guys. He, you have stubborn and you have really, really stubborn. Yeah. you know It's not a team. The team doesn't need to prove a lot. Yeah. Pedro Costa needed to prove something. Yeah. But, but in the third race, he was telling the press, oh, they don't need to tell me how to ride a bike. Yeah. Well, they should tell you because you're not fast enough and you've got a lot of talent. You better listen. Yeah. So he has an attitude as well.
2: Yeah, so it, it, again, it's one of these riders who've come in, who's achieved too much too early and uh, and things... Probably
4: too much for, them, for their own good, yeah. yeah. But it's never too late to... to well, having said that, <laughs> yeah. for Rolf Fernandes, it's five minutes for 12. Yeah. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, but Pedro Acosta is not in my yeah, GP no, yet. No, that's, no. Uh, the, the, that's for sure. Um, finally, we get to uh, the... <clears throat> <laughs> the mighty. <laughs> yes, that's right. The the might of HRC, who uh, m- managed the amazing feat this year of finishing last in the constructors' championship in both MotoGP and World Superbikes. Um, oh it is quite unusual. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a big Mark Marcus factor there. Um, the good thing for Honda is that uh, the fourth operation which uh, he had after. Magello, after you're living at Magello, because you know the the bone was rotated, and he was he was literally in pain all of the time. You know, riding or yep, not, not riding. Not only when he was riding, exactly, it's unbelievable, exactly, uh,
4: exactly. Um, Would you go to Doctor Mir if you break your arm and they put it back on thirty <laughs> degrees wrong? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, it,
2: it, there's so many. They did so much wrong at the start.
4: Yeah, the whole story is
2: unbelievable. Yeah, exactly, and it's only really the whole story, everything exactly. Uh, it's only really things started going right after the, um, I suppose after the third operation when he started getting better. But it was um, it, it was clear that that there was you know that it was not going to be completely right. It was only once after the fourth operation that they've got everything. It was also very interesting that uh that was also the same time uh that or roughly the same time that he split up with his uh, former teammate emilio or sorry uh, manager, manager yeah. uh, emilio azamora i think that was a that was very telling about the direction he felt that things had gone in um so we've got a healthy mark back i think we did, we, we saw that oh, yeah. we saw the philip allen but we also saw it at valencia you know he's just he's riding again you could actually see the way he's riding driving. as Mark. He's riding like Mark. Yeah, he yeah. looks like Mark. Mark is on a bike. Uh, unfortunately, he's riding a Honda, and the Honda is just um, not terrifically good.
4: <laughs> Speaking of understepping, <laughs> unbelievable, eh? How can you lose the plot like Asa did in MotoGP? Well, what? Some effort think, there. Yeah, but what? What went wrong? Well, what not. It's not like one engineer or 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 a you know. Or an engine with the wrong crankshaft mask or something. No, no, no. The whole, like Mark told us, the whole pro, if Mark tells us, the problem is not the bike, the problem is the project. Wow. And it is true because there's so many signs that there actually everybody with a little bit of understanding of racing has gone somehow or is doing not, is not doing his job at HSC, which is unbelievable because is is the pinnacle, is for everything. And there must have been nobody left with a clue. All the bike changed a lot. The bike that came last winter was a lot different. And it looks very promising in the beginning. But they never got any fire with it. They throw probably 20 sashis at it and whatever not. But never made any impact again. Paul hates it. It nearly killed him a couple of times. Um, um, and then they bought a sashi from Carlex Motor too. Yeah. And not even, I think, more... I will not be surprised that more manufacturers do that every now and then. But then, you know, uh, secretly. Yeah, and testing yeah. it and try to learn something from it. They just bought it, put it in in the race weekend, saw that it was better, kept it in. And not give it to the other riders, by the way. Only for Mark. Yeah. And then went up and went back and forwards a couple of times to make sure that they learned how to measure where the difference is. So they didn't know, so they, did, they lost the clue how to measure things already. They went back and forwards with the, with the carbon swing arm to the new aluminium swing arm just to measure it. Usually, the Friday I watched for Honda, Mark said, Saturday's for me. Yeah. So on Friday, he was trying all sorts of stuff just because Honda didn't know what they are actually having and trying to... They put a lot of extra sensors on the bike, which we never saw before. Yeah. Six-axis sensors around the wheel pins in the middle of the sashi. It's like a new manufacturer comes and has to learn the game. Yeah. Wow, but this is... We're speaking about Honda HRC. Yeah. That's... It's, I can't get my head around it. It's unbelievable. And then whatever they bring of sashis left and right, you know, we looked at pictures just before we did this podcast. You showed me the sashi pictures you have from the different Hondas, even in Valencia. There's so big, so many differences, big differences, visible differences between different bikes they are building for Mark. And they all perform the same. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> They have no rear wheel traction. They have no control over the rear tire. You can brake very late with it, but you need to be very, very firm with the handlebars. You need all your power to control the bike in the braking area. And only then you can probably brake late, but still, still you see the bike wants to kill you. But it's, I mean, because the thing is...
2: Th- 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 the concept behind the change was to move some weight, to change the weight distribution, to move yeah. some weight from, 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 from the front rear. of the bike to the rear of the bike. Because the front, before the front was fantastic, uh, but there was just no rear grip, so you could open the throttle yeah. and the rear and the front. The rear that was that.
4: They're still there, more or less.
2: Well, yeah, only the, the only now the front is crap as
4: well. So, <laughs> so you know, it, they, it, they, it, gained they a little managed. bit rear, but not enough. Yeah, exactly. Because he was in Phillip Island, the only only guy that didn't really gamble. He was using the S only mark, and it was not even a gamble, because the S could do the race distance, because it's Honda, it has no weight on the rear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go, how much proof you need. Yeah. So, no, Honda lost the plot completely, the the whole project is a nightmare, and you know, by the time that you and me see that things go wrong with Honda, that's usually already one year later, than things really went wrong. Yeah. So... How quickly are they able to turn this super tanker ship and turn it around, point it in a good direction and start going forward? But um, was it
2: really the loss of Mark Marquez which caused the project to go off the rails? Did the... Did, because, I mean, we know that Honda, Honda is an engineering company and the role of engineers is... Computer say yes. Yeah, exactly. Computer says yes. So, um, which is, once upon a time, that was the problem at Ducati, you know. Ducati yeah. would say, they'd "Look changed. at the data. And say, what are you complaining about? It says that you're going round there. Yeah, but it feels like the bike is trying to kill yeah, me. No, but you're fine. You're fine. No, don't since worry the about it. Ducati
4: changed that. Yeah, they changed. And well, we are speculating, but I love speculating. So <laughs> I start speculating. I said Honda um, probably was always a little bit like this, but Mark was able to ride the bike. But we have not, should not forget Mark's not a normal rider. So as long as Mark exists and is fast, there will always be some sort of a problem in HRC Honda MotoGP. Because what Mark wants, what Mark needs to be fast, is more or less unrideable for the rest of the world. That's it. So... But even Mark is slow with this bike, so they completely lost the plot since Mark left, since Mark heard himself coming back, heard himself again, not able to ride comfortably. They start to listen to other people. They start to listen to the computers. They start to make a little bit of normal V4, maybe a little bit like a KTM. It looked a lot like at points, but didn't really know how to do that well. And now they end up in nothing. Now, Mark, but Mark came back to Red Bull Ring to watch the progress. Was quite clear that it's in a shit situation, the whole project. And But that's already a long time ago. Yeah. And now in Valencia, on Tuesday on the test, there was not a lot of new promising stuff. There was some new stuff. Mark didn't do a lot of laps, just enough to be sure that it was nothing special, yeah. But they gave him, and he left. Not after telling you and the other guys that the project is still the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So Honda.
2: So should we hope that Mark goes to Ducati and ruins everything for all the other Honda uh, ruins the project there as well? Well,
4: so Gigi builds a bike that only he can ride. First of all, Mark will be already incredibly fast on the bike that other people can ride as well. And then he will ask for more things differently. And with that, nobody else can ride a bike mm. after him. Now, I'd love to see Honda coming back with Mark. Yeah. Going full circle. But they,
2: it does mean that they ha- they really have to change the project in the sense that they yes. have to listen to the riders yeah. and, and give them what they need. Well, they, how long <laughs> is his contract... Uh, uh, two more years, twenty three
4: and twenty four. So a little bit there.
2: Well, yeah, I mean they've basically got next year because if things are not better yeah. by the end of next year, then uh, uh, then you know negotiations will be will be starting. Um, and obviously, the, his new manager is a former Red Bull guy from Red Bull Spain, uh, so you can imagine what direction that will yeah. be going.
4: Well, Ducati now have their world champion; they can afford to do not next year and then be in yeah. it again. So that's KTM. Because th- there's no greater, uh, how do you say it in English? Anyway, it's one of the special things that the special riders always had. Like in Formula One, it's okay when you're a world champion, but you wanted, you wanted to have done it at least one time in a Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but there's no point now going to Ducati, but at least prove it with another manufacturer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but I think KTM the- needs him, yeah. and he would love to prove Honda when they really don't give him any bike that, that doesn't work, then yeah. he goes to KTM and proves Honda, if it's only for Honda, already for that will be enough reason to go to KTM and do it. with its. Which is basically a bike not very different from a Honda. There are V4s, and that dictates the whole design of the bike. Yeah, and when you talk to
2: riders who've been in uh, European and Japanese uh, manufacturers, they will say that the... Day and wo- night. Yeah, exactly. The European manufacturers are much better at listening and much better at, re- uh, at reacting. Um, uh, again, it's a bit of a shame that Takanakagami is not retiring this year to become yeah. a test rider because I think there was nobody
4: else available.
2: No, 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 exactly. No, I mean, Ayagura is just not, uh, he's no. not... He's not ready yet. He will never be. But he's going to be. I mean, he's going to be on that second yeah, yeah, Honda network.
4: But he will not be he's anything uh, special.
2: No, no. But he might still be better than Taken Akagami Well, not under pressure. <laughs> I don't well, both know. Of I them bit, are, no, both no, no, of them no. Are no, sure no, no, no I pressure. mean, look, for a start, I think Agura has already won more races than Nakagawa won. <laughs> yeah, 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 and and, yeah, I, and yeah. I think also um, uh, he's still young. Hey? Let's yes, not forget that he, exactly. he started very, very young. Exactly, and also because that was uh, so. BSB have just changed their point system. Yeah, I saw
4: it. poor. Yeah, you need I mean, a calculator in the hand there.
2: Yeah, but also not only that, it means that so, for example, uh, there's only two points. Uh, so in the first part of the season, there's only two yeah. two extra points. Eighteen points for a win in sixteen yeah, second. Not points and going for the win. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Which made me think about Ayagura's uh, overtaking Sepang, where he's going for it. You know, he's five points. Um, he didn't need it. But if it had got the five points, it would have made his life so much easier at, um, uh, at at Valencia. And so it sort of encourages that sort of racing. And I can, like, obviously he crashed, so the decision looks terrible. But if he hadn't crashed, the decision would have looked like um, uh, uh, you know an incredibly brave and sensible move. So it's, it's one of those things... Like you said saying about Fabio, you're right on the limit all the time. Sometimes you go a little bit over the limit, uh, but if you don't go right over the
4: limit, then you
2: then you look like a hero. And if you do go over the limit, then you
4: just end up looking really, really stupid. There's been a lot of crashes from my Agora that were just on the limit and they were just crashing, but not that one. Yeah. That one was from way too far. That was impossible from the moment we saw it. No, let's hope he doesn't take anybody okay only himself. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was not possible.
2: A couple of things. There's going to be some rule changes next year. First of all, sprint races. Now, interesting. well, yeah, but doesn't it just mean? That I don't you, say good or bad.
4: You just say interesting. Do you,
2: does that mean that Ducati you are going to win everything? Because kind of qualifying is going to be everything. Uh, I was, I was, you know, looking through the, crunching all the various results from from last year, and I think five, something like four or five of the top six uh, qualifiers last year were were Ducati. Ducati's particularly wouldn't qualify he's exactly. help them
4: a lot yeah. and you've but, only got 12 yeah, yeah, yeah. you've
2: only got half race distance yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah, yeah. somewhere between 10 and 15 laps uh, and um, you've got 12 litres of fuel instead of 22 so you you know petrol is not going to be a problem they've got you've got uh, fuel and bare four horsepower to burn uh, there's not going to be a special tire so everyone's just going to be racing the soft um, or the the softest uh, the softest compound available. So,
4: how do you see sprint races? Yeah, you more or less said it yourself. Sprint <laughs> races probably for Ducati because they have the most horsepower, and normally you have to to turn down that horsepower a little bit for fuel consumption over race distance. But since for the sprint race we have one more litre in total uh, than we have for the full race, they can open total completely. So, horsepower wise, they will have an, uh, an advantage. Um, there is less. Uh, practice time until we go to to a race. So with eight bikes on the grid, you have more benefit from your practice time because in between the sessions, you can share data from the other riders. So there's more chances of having Ducatis on the front rows for the sprint race than there was for the normal race last year. They have probably a little bit extra horsepower available for the sprint race. So yeah, sprint race looks like a very good idea when you have a Ducati. Then comes on Sunday, the normal race. And as a crew chief, I remember very, very well how important, uh, how the film was usually after we have to one race, and then you do a debrief after the race with your engineers, with your rider to summarize that we all learned the same thing. And what did we learn from it from today's race? And usually after you summarize what you've learned, you know what you want to do. One of my questions, one of my favorite or my standard questions in in the post-race debrief, was always: "So, what would you shoot? Uh, what should we do on the bike if there was another race in two hours?" And then usually, this the ideas that came up were really interesting ideas, uh, which you write down and probably use later. You cannot use it for the next week's race because that's on another track. Uh, but now you can. And what I'm trying to say with uh, is: there is no no other way in the race weekend than the race. You learn so much in a race distance about your bike. And your capacities as a rider, because you're battling for so long with riders more or less your lap time. You're following them, you get overtaken by them, you overtake them. I've never seen riders coming coming in with such good feedback as after a race, which was usually pointless because that was the race of the weekend. But when you have two races, it's so helpful. So I expect a different second race and probably. Uh, think about Yamaha, which has again only one rider. I think <laughs> is doing everything by himself, but having to do, having done the sprint race for Fabio next year will help him to to fine tune the bike in the correct way for the race on Sunday. So he will probably be uh, benefit from the sprint race, lose in the sprint race, benefit from it in the ho- in the main race. If that makes sense to you when I explain it. And when you're with Ducatis, winning the sprint race, you don't change a lot for Sunday, don't you? So so well,
2: you, you, you expect, to, so Ducati will win the sprint race and then the second race will be much more open because everyone yeah. else will make a much bigger step
4: yeah. forward. Yeah. But then again, the whole weekend will change a little bit with only two rear tires available. Uh, we will probably see less difference between somebody's qualifying performances and his race performances, or say in other words... Uh, you've got more chance if you have a good race pace but not a very good qualifying pace. You can be more to the front because like I said, with only two types of tires available, um, I don't think I think the 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 gap in the lap time that's possible in the race and in the qualifying will be smaller. So KTM, Suzuki is gone, but these type of of bikes that struggle a little bit in qualifying, could probably qualify quite well because that. Ex- I mean, sometimes this difference is unexplainable between the qualifying lap time and the best race lap time. That's way too much.
2: Um, you say that they've got less setup time, but on the other hand, if you're not having to work through three different rear tires, that buys yeah. you extra setup time because you know you you will go into a weekend saying, "Okay, we've got the because it'll be either soft and medium, or medium and hard, or soft and hard, whatever." It will be okay. We've got a qualifying tire, we've got a probable race tire. Uh, now we can just figure it out.
4: Oh, we have two probable race tires one for the sprint race, one for Sunday's race. And we need to do and you have real problems, <laughs> yes. and you have
2: real problems with sprint races because yep. it, I mean, if you want to race the soft, um, when are you going to you, you're going to you know, you've got I think seven uh, uh seven softs, um, so. You're going to want to put race dints oh, yeah, on yeah, there we go. A, now it FD. gets interesting.
4: Yeah. Especially if you think that the soft that Michelin decided in March, because that's when Michelin has yeah. to decide the tires for the whole season, so they gamble. I mean, you can't blame them. <laughs> if we arrive on a track and it's uh, the circumstances are quite different than Michelin expected, then probably your soft tire is still hard enough to do the main race. Yeah. So what are you going to do? <laughs> you don't have enough soft tires for that. So, no, no, the, there will be a little bit more gambling, which usually ends up being spectacular races. Yeah. Or you uh, un- can't it.
2: Yeah. Y- y- yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or
4: again, when you're Ducati, you've got eight bikes on the grip. Yeah. Y- y- Everybody it's much has to as figure as out. Everybody gets another task. Joe gets exactly, to, to, exactly. to test both tyres. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Look at Jack Miller sometimes, free practice for usually not that fast, but doing doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah,
2: you really, can do that. Yeah, maybe or not. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Exactly. Um, the other change next year is uh, front tyres. Uh, now there was a lot of talk all year about front tyre pressures. I um, had ah, yeah, yeah, the pressure the sensors. Yeah. yeah, so that we can have an official sensor. Um, which uh, I think you were explaining to me earlier. There is a. It has two channels. One is open, which the teams can use to log, and another one which is encrypted, encrypted, which is then uh, logged separately. And uh, only the Checked by Dorna uh, yeah, on, on, Yes, yeah. only Dorna can can decode that. Yeah. Uh, as an ex-programmer, I have
4: Doubt my that. <laughs> yeah. I have my <laughs> doubts. Yes. Is, you see it as a challenge. But anyway, this sensor that is. Next year the official sensor is um, um, how you say it? all the teams agreed that this is an okay sensor and the way it is encrypted and so on, they agree with this procedure. So it is a sensor that 50% of the field is already using. It's the same sensor it just does do not send out one can stream. it sent out two can streams of data. One is is encrypted like you said. and that's how we deal with it. So then they can enforce the rules that existed. the rule, from the tires, don't change about the minimum tire pressure because that's what we speak about. Just uh, for the re- for the people who listen to this podcast, especially with the front tires of Michelin, it's usually quite beneficial to have a lower pressure in the front tire than is allowed as a minimum because the tire gets only better. And especially bikes that depend a lot on the front tire, like the Yamaha did, they used to struggle because the tire pressure that they needed to run was too high for them to really use the best of the tire. So. There are rules and there's rules, they say, for example, that during your best lap, that is your qualifying lap or your free practice lap that puts you in Q1 or Q2, you have to have at least one moment <laughs> during that one lap that your minimum tire, your minimum tire pressure was legal. So 90% of the lap, it can be too low. At just the end of the lap, it has to be there. That's quite a gamble to do. And in the race, it has to be at least 50% of the race distance. You have to have that minimum tire pressure and not going below it. Tire pressure depends not only on how you start, but also the conditions. If you if you have a bike that doesn't relay a lot on its on its front tire performance to do the lap time, like a Ducati, and at the same time you're leading all race, then your tire pressure will not grow because the 1.9, which is the minimum pressure for the for Michelin and for the front tire, is actually not a bad tire pressure. It's only the problem. When your name is Fabio Guattararo, you're yeah. following a couple of <laughs> Ducatis over the straights. Yeah. They have a hot, lot of hot air behind them, and you can't, you cannot pass them for some reason at that point. After three laps behind because a couple Because you don't of Ducatis, have 12 million horsepower. Exactly. After three laps behind the Ducati, that's that's where your front tire pressure goes from 1.9 to two, 2.1. 2.1 is already completely shit. 2.2, you crash. Yeah. So either you give up, take 50 meters distance, Take a deep breath, read a book, wait until the pressure drops again, and try and attack again. But then then you can forget about the win. So especially the Yamaha struggled a lot. So for the Yamaha, it looks like the situation will be harder for them with, uh, with with the same situation. Having said that, tire pressure also depends on the type of tire. You know, the story that I'm just telling you go from 1.9 to 2 to 2.1, only happens if track temperature is high and the tires we are forced to use, the tire that performs best, is the relative soft tire. As soon as it's cold, or as soon as we can use the hard front tire, then the hard front tire is less sensitive for hot air following a Ducati. And then we have an open race and everybody can do what they want. So it's not written in stone. It's not always. But usually it's the Yamaha's that depends the most on the front tire and that will suffer when the front tire pressure becomes an issue. A couple of times a year, front tire pressure and temperature becomes an issue and then Yamaha and the other manufacturers as well were able a little bit to do what they want this year because there was a rule, but we didn't enforce it because we all agreed that the sensor is probably uh, not temper-proof, so somebody can manipulate the signal. Now they all agree next year, this sensor, we agreed that we trust the outcome from it, so we have to stick with it.
2: Well, that, of course, the reason they might have agreed to it is because they realize that they're going to be able to hack it. And the other thing is if you've got two... <laughs> Uh, if you've got two sets of data, one of which is encrypted and one of which is not encrypted, then you know what the uh, contents of the encrypted data is, um, and you can reverse engineer the encryption, and then you can use. Are you the looking call- at a
4: challenge, David? <laughs> well,
2: you use what you call a man in the middle <laughs> attack, which is where you intercept the signal and then send the uh, send the re. Well, why thing? will
4: teams do that? It's illegal. Yeah, of they're course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cheating is
3: completely
2: <laughs> unheard of in MotoGP. Exactly. I should have thought of that. Yes, they're all living up to the spirit of the rules. We know, we know all exactly yeah, how they feel about the spirit of the rules. um I think that's more than enough from both of us. Uh, thank you ever so much, Peter. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've learnt, uh, I've learnt a lot as always. Thank the listeners. enjoy well. speaking with you. <laughs> Thank you to our sponsors, uh, Fly Racing and Renthal Street. Um, make sure you go and check them out. They help make this possible. Um, and make sure you follow us on uh social media uh, at paddock pass pod on twitter uh check out our patreon page uh com slash paddock podcast where we've got lots and lots of extras and there will be lots more extras coming along uh, so check that out and uh thank you for listening and goodbye
0: this episode of the paddock pass podcast was produced by jensen beeler david Emmett, steve english neil morrison and adam wheeler it was edited by brian burnett music is provided by the liberty all inquiries can be sent via email to team at
4: paddockpasspodcast.com
1: one sec one sec mic check mic check (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that looked great we all looked like, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> and then Neil was a good two seconds behind, but uh, that's a, another problem for another day.